This is Rich Phipps, and I'm the lead pastor of Grace Collective Church. Welcome to our podcast. Whether you're a part of our local church family or a part of our online community, we're so glad that you're here. Enjoy the message. Hey, friends, so today we're going to talk about a super powerful word. In fact, you might even consider this word to have super powers because of what it does to you. This, this word can humble you. This word can hold you accountable. And this word may even embarrass you. But it also does some other better things. This word can free you. This word can heal you. This word can restore relationships. It can resolve arguments. It can rally your team. This word might even repair your marriage. All of that in one word. Now, like every other weekend through the summer, in our game plan message series, we're going to use a game this morning to kick us into the message of the day. And the name of the game is that same word we just talked about. Any guesses what that word is? Okay, 12 of you read the email blast. Great. The rest of you, there's an email blast every week. So, hey, yeah, the game, sorry. And if it's been a minute since you've played sorry, let me just remind you of how to play. So, sorry is a great family game. Two to four players can play. And at the beginning of the game, every member chooses your color of game pieces. And you each put your game pieces in the start circle. And then you take turns going around all the players, and you take the top card, or whatever number is on the card, that's how many spaces you get to move around the board. Now, the object of the game is to get all four of your pieces into, around the board and into the home circle, and the first person that gets all four pieces in the home circle wins the game. But it's not as easy as that, because in the deck of cards, different numbers have different attributes. So you're stuck in your start circle until you draw a one or a two. They're the ones that have the power to get you out of the start circle. And if you draw a two, you get to go again. That's a bonus. If you draw a four, you're not allowed to move forward. You have to move backwards. And if you're strategic, it really helps. And if you draw an 11, 11 is a great card because you can change places like your pawn or your piece with any other person's piece on the game board. If someone's really close to their getting home, you can put them way back and you get close to your own home. And if you draw a seven, a seven means you can split the number. You can do a one here, six here, or move three here or four here. It's a great one to get. But of all the cards in the deck, the one card that is the best card is the Sorry card, right? Because when you draw a sorry, that's like money in the bank. You draw a sorry card, and you look at the piece. You're like, you know, you, if you're not drawing a one or two, you're just waiting. Everybody else has their pieces out. They're moving around the board. And, and you know how frustrating it is. You're stuck. You can't get a one or two. But you get a sorry. Not only do you get your piece out of start, but you can put it on any square of any other opponent, wherever their pieces are, anywhere on the board, as close to your home as possible. And for an added bonus, their piece on that spot goes back to their start. Now they have to wait and draw one or two to get out. Now, when you do that, when you play the sorry card, theoretically, you're supposed to be sorry. But you know you're not. In fact, you can't wait to do it again the next time you're hoping for a sorry card. And if you don't play the sorry card, if you don't do that, then you ruin your chance of winning. Hey, playing the sorry card and not really being sorry is okay in a game. But what about real life? What about when the stakes are higher? What about when it matters more? What about when, when it's about relationships that, that, you, that you have in your life? See, in the game, it's fun to not be sorry, but what happens when sorry is more than a game? When the moves you make and the decisions you make and the directions you take ruin more than your chance of winning? What happens when they ruin friendships and marriages and jobs and lives? 
That's a different game. That's a whole different outcome. In fact, it has consequences every time you need to say you're sorry. There are way bigger stakes when it comes to real life, and this is why sorry is one hard word that we all need to learn to say and mean. Now, we've said this several times throughout our summer message series. We stole a line from Andy Stanley, and we've said it several weeks. It goes like this. Jesus not only makes your life better, he makes you better at life. And ultimately, that is because he's the only way to the win, right? The win at the end of life. You can, you can set yourself up for any win you want to the end of life, but the only one that really lasts, that really matters, is when you end this life in a real and right relationship with your heavenly father. And, and there's no other way to that but Jesus. So Jesus really is, I hope you're discovering by now, the best game plan for your life. He's the only way to the win, But aside from that ultimate win, there's some very real daily practical benefits to leaning in and listening to Jesus. Like, listen, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you should listen to Jesus. Because what Jesus says, what he teaches, what he models makes you the best you can be in life. It makes you the best husband, the best wife, the best parent, the best child, the best employer, the best employee. It makes you the best, the best neighbor, the best friend. Leaning in and listening to Jesus will make you better than you can ever be without him. So even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you really should lean in and listen to Jesus. He makes you better at life. Saying sorry is a part of becoming better in life. Now, saying sorry was probably something that Jesus never um, had to model. Like he, He didn't model that anywhere really in Scripture for us. It was something that Jesus probably never had to say. Think about it, because Jesus was perfect, right? So let's just, let's just do this for a moment. Let's pretend that you are growing up as a brother or sister of Jesus. And if that's a new concept for you, Scripture teaches us, God tells us, that Jesus had biological sisters and brothers. They're all younger than him because when Jesus was born, that was a miraculous virgin birth. I believe that with every fiber of my being. But after that, Mary and Joseph had other kids. Scripture tells us that. But can you imagine being one of Jesus' brothers or sisters, like younger brothers or sisters? Let's say one day you're, you're all, you know, uh, goofing around in the house, and your mom, Mary, she's told you a hundred times, don't throw stuff in the house. Something's going to get broken. But there you are, like you're throwing stuff in the house, and sure enough, that the oil lamp that she treasures gets broken. And she hears it from the other room, and Mary comes, comes kind of charging into the room and says, what happened? That was my favorite one. That was from Aunt Rebecca. How... What happened? Who's to blame? And you all like point to Jesus. And Mary's like, nope, didn't happen. He's perfect. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus? The the, the closest Jesus probably ever came to saying sorry was something that wasn't even his fault. Do you remember the time, and some of you remember this, when his parents, Mary and Joseph, lost him for three days? Do you remember? How do you lose God? I don't know. They did. But they lost him for three days. He was 12 years old, and they had been to Jerusalem, the major city, right? The the, the capital for the Jewish people. And and they, they had been there during a festival, a big festival. So hundreds of thousands of people were in the city, and they lost him for three days. When they finally found him, he was sitting in the temple with the religious leaders, And he was asking questions, and he was giving answers, and they're all amazed at how a 12-year-old... How many of y'all have 12-year-olds remember 12-year-old? They're not always amazing. 
right, with, with their answers and questions. But, but Jesus like, you, you're blowing our mind, little man, and, and, and they're amazed at him. But when Mary and Joseph finally find out where he is, they go running in, and Mary's like, oh my gosh, Jesus, you, you scared me to death. I don't know, have you ever lost a child for like three minutes, like in Walmart or anywhere, and you can't find them? Three minutes will scare you to death if you're a parent who's lost a child. Imagine three days. Jesus, you, you scared me unto death. And Jesus was like, why? why? Didn't, you, didn't you know where I was? He didn't even know he was lost, right? He's sitting there just enjoying this back and forth for three days with, with the, the leaders of, of, the, of that faith, the Jewish faith. But Mary's like, you scared us to death. That's probably the closest Jesus ever had to come to say he's sorry. It wasn't even his fault. So Jesus never really modeled that, but I I believe it was something that Jesus um, does teach us. I believe it's something that we see modeled throughout Scripture. Jesus never had to say he was sorry, unlike you and me, who are practically professionals in messing things up and having to say we're sorry. Um, this This is a hard word to say. Like, when you're sorry, there are consequences. There, the things you do, the things you don't do, things you should say, things you didn't say, when they hurt relationships and you know a sorry is in order, when you're confronted with the truth that what you did or how you did it was wrong, there are consequences. And one of those is learning to say you're sorry. People get hurt, relationships get broken, marriage gets, get strained. Consequences. So we've created a way to mend what we break, restore who we alienate, and basically start over. And that way is saying sorry. But you know this as well as I do. It's not just about the word, right? The word doesn't make the difference. How many of you remember when you were kids and you got in a fight with your sister? Like I, it was probably her fault. But you're okay to finish it. And so there you are, arguing over something, maybe slap hitting, maybe wrestling, whatever it was. You're arguing, you're, you're, you're fighting about something, and your mom comes in, and she separates the two of you. And remember what she did? She made you stand there. She said, look, look at each other's eyes, look face to face, hold out your hand, shake your hands, and tell your sister that you are... And you weren't. You know you... In fact, when you were saying you're sorry, what you were really doing was plotting your revenge. Like, you... You better sleep with one eye open, sis. I know, I know where your bedroom is. When you least expect it, all eight years of you, so threatening, right? But we all know that, that saying the word sorry isn't, isn't, isn't the trick. It doesn't always work, but the idea is right. So as people who mess up with other people, we need a mechanism to help fix what we break. In fact, here's a, here's a terrifying thought. What if you didn't? What if you didn't have this mechanism? What if, what if what you did, what you didn't did, what you say, what you didn't say, whatever it was that hurt someone else, what if, what if every time you broke a relationship, it had to remain broken? What if every time you screwed it up, it stayed screwed up? What if every time it got ruined because of you, it had to stay ruined? What if you didn't have a way to reconcile? And fix. That's a scary thought, isn't it? I mean, think of all the people who are back in your life who wouldn't have been because you screwed up the relationship, but because of sorry, they're back. Or maybe even more scary, think of the people you cherish in relationship right now. 
And what if, because you know it's just, it's just a matter of time, right? Before you say something stupid, do something stupid, you break that relationship or hurt that relationship. What if, what if there was no sorry? And what if the people you cherish in relationship now, if you happen to break that relationship, there was no chance of getting them back? Thankfully, that's not the case, or at least it doesn't have to be the case, because you have the word sorry. But again, sorry is a hard word to say, and it's even harder to mean. It has to be more than just a word, right? It has to be more than just the word. There must be some sort of an action, some, some change in you to prove that you're actually sorry, so you're not just shaking hands with your sister and saying you'll never do that again. If being sorry is more than just saying the word, and it means a changed life, I cannot think of a better example, a better model than a guy named Paul. Paul, if, if anybody ever need, needed to be sorry for what he did and proved a changed life around it, it was Paul. Now, before his name Paul, his name was Saul. Many of you know that. Um, you, can change, you can use either name you want to. I'm going to use Paul for the message just not to confuse you because some of this will, be, will refer to when he was still Saul. I'm just going to call him Paul. It, Paul is who be, he became after he made the change, okay? So I'm going to talk about him as Paul. And Paul, Paul was a contemporary of Jesus. He wasn't a follower of Jesus. He wasn't a fan of Jesus. In fact, he was the opposite of those. He was an enemy of Jesus. Paul hated Jesus. Paul hated people who followed Jesus. Paul was a real, viable, deadly threat to anyone who followed Jesus. Now, how many of you have ever had people be angry with you because of something you said or you did? If you're not raising your hand, liar, right? We, we all have that. But how many of you had, have had people take it to another level where they pursue you, they threaten you, they endanger you because of something you said or something you did? That was Paul. For any follower of Jesus, just because they followed you, he didn't have to know them. They didn't have to ever have talked to him. Just because he knew or, or thought they followed Jesus, he was a real, viable, deadly threat. He pursued them. He threatened them. He pulled them out of their homes. He broke them away from their families. And he threw them in prison. And then he cast his vote to have them put to death just because they followed Jesus. Now, here's why Paul was so, so angry and hated followers of Jesus. Because Paul was a Jew. In fact, he would say he was like the Jew of all Jews. And after he became a follower of Jesus, spoiler alert, we'll get to that later. He looked back on his life and he said, do you, do you realize who I was? Do you realize who I was? I was a Jew of Jews. I came from the right tribe. I had all the right training. I was more zealous. I was more passionate. I was, I was everything a good Jew should be. Everything in Paul's life led him and prepared him to be the next leader of the Jews. And then... Along comes this, this little sect, this little splinter group from his own people, the Jews, who claimed the Jewish Messiah had come. The Messiah, the Savior, was here. And they even gave him a name, Jesus. And this Jesus was walking around like he owned the place. He did, right? He's walking, and we'll try it one more time. It's Jesus, he walked around like he owned the place. Amen, Amen right? 
And he called himself a rabbi. Now listen, when you, when you hung out a shingle back there and say, I'm Rabbi Jesus, the first thing you're going to get from the Jewish leaders is, who'd you study under? Oh, you want a job with us? Where'd you go to school? Let me see, let me see the name on your diploma. They, they did that. Hey, who did you study under? You had to study under one of the greats to be a rabbi today. And Jesus was like, I didn't study under anybody. I'm just a teacher. So Jesus was this rebel, rogue, rabbi, teacher. And, and the, man, the Jewish people couldn't stand that, the, the leaders. But the Jewish people loved it because he was teaching differently. He was teaching, like, as we said last week, as one who had authority. He knew what he was talking about. He was taking the real stuff of God and making it really presentable to the people. And the people flocked to him. And the Jewish leaders were like, we, we don't want that. And so, so Jesus was a huge threat because he threatened the very way the Jewish leaders controlled the people and their faith. Now, to Paul's credit, he believed he was right. He thought Jesus was another one of those guys. They've seen him before. We'll see him again. He's leading some of our people astray. I must protect my people and our, our religion. But Paul was wrong in what he did and in how he did it. This is why Paul hated Jesus. He, he believed he was protecting the Jews from a false Messiah. He hated the followers of Jesus. So the Jewish leaders, they convinced Rome to put this Jesus to death. Take out the leader, take out the movement, right? But after they put him to death, Jesus just got more popular. It got, he, he got more followers. They, his followers actually began to claim that this Jesus had come back to life. They had seen him. They've talked with him. They've walked with him. They've eaten with him. They claimed that this man, who was killed, by the way, by professional killers, Roman soldiers, that's what they were trained to do. They knew how to kill, and they knew doggone well when someone was fully dead. And they killed Jesus. They killed him. And yet now, the followers of Jesus are saying, wait, he came back to life. He came back, and, and we've seen him, and we've walked with him, we've talked with him, we've eaten with him. They even gave their lives so others could know and believe that Jesus, Jesus was back alive. But from Paul's perspective, it was all a lie. However they pulled it off, it was all a lie. Ne never mind, never mind the, the, the way that, that people were testifying. Never mind that every shred of evidence was proof that, that Jesus was fully alive and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses gave testimony. Paul considered it a lie and he saw how it fueled Jesus' followers. Man, they were growing like crazy. Thousands of people were signing on, sometimes in a single day. This thing was really gaining momentum and if the leaders of the Jewish people didn't do something about it soon and fast, it would be out of hand. So Paul did his part. In fact, he took a leading role. Paul went around arresting and persecuting these people of the way. That's what they called it. They didn't know what to call this movement. They just said, hey, it's the way. And they, they called it that. And then one day, on his way to round up more followers of Jesus in a town called Damascus, Paul met the resurrected Jesus, the, the, the come back to life Jesus. More precisely, Jesus intercepted Paul. Knocked him off his horse. Paul went blind, like really blind, not just dust in my eyes or saw a bright light. Blind, blind. And while Paul was groping around on the ground, Jesus said to Paul, 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 why do you persecute me? And from the dust of the road, Paul said, who are you, Lord? 
And Jesus said, it's me. I am Jesus, the one you've been persecuting. Now get up, go into the town of Damascus and wait until I give you further instructions. And then Jesus gave him further instructions. I mean, he gave him precise instructions. You go wait right there until I send a man named Ananias. Ananias is this dude who's going to come over to the house where you're staying and he's going to pray for you. And when he prays for you, I will restore your sight. How many of you remember that story? Lots of you do. Usually at that point, we want to jump right to Ananias, right? Coming in, um, praying over Paul, something like scales, fall from Paul's eyes, he can see again. We, 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 we like that part. But pause. Don't, don't go forward. Because this is such a crucial moment. What happened right here on the road when Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. This was such a crucial, crucial moment because Paul had a decision to make. Listen, friends, anytime you are confronted with the truth, like Paul was. Anytime you're confronted with the truth that you've done something wrong, you have a decision to make. The question for Paul was this, was this brief encounter with the truth enough? Think about this. Everything Paul had been taught, everything Paul had been practicing, everything about Paul's life had been telling him, go persecute the Christians. Everything. And now he's confronted with the truth. Would this truth outweigh the way he'd been living? Or would the way he'd been living outweigh the truth? But what he had done was wrong. Would this exposure to truth be enough to outweigh the way he was? Would it be enough to change him, to be a new man doing something new with his life? And Paul had options. Listen, Paul, Paul could have gotten up off the ground, dusted himself off, and said, hey, I can't see, but he had all the soldiers still with him. So you all, you lead me into the town, and I don't care how you do it, how rough you do it, what you say to them, you drag every stinking Christian out of their home, and you bring them to me. Or Paul could have gotten up, dusted himself off, and said, hey, I can't see anything. So soldiers, take me back to Jerusalem. I'm going to invest in the best doctors on blindness, and once they heal me... <laughs> These Christians, they're, they're going to they're wish they'd never heard of my name. Paul had options. He didn't have to do what Jesus told him to do. He didn't have to do uh, what Jesus told him to do after being confronted with the truth that he had been wrong. But Paul did what was right. Paul did make a decision. He went into town. He, he went into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind, didn't eat anything, and didn't drink anything. For three days. It's a lot of time to think. How many of you have ever sat still for three minutes? That's hard, right? 30 seconds can be hard. Three days. It's a lot of time to think. But all the things he'd done wrong, all the families he'd broken up, all the people he'd put to death. But he wasn't the only guy thinking in Damascus that day. Because across town was Ananias. And Jesus was appearing to Ananias at the same time and saying, hey, Ananias, I got a job for you. I want you to go to this, this house on Straight Street, and I want you to go in. There's a guy named Paul, and I want you to go in, lay your hands on him, pray for him, because I told him, you're coming, Ananias. He's expecting you. And when you pray for him, I will heal him. And I want you to listen to Ananias' response, because it is a terrific, uh, extremely important reminder that when you make the decision to really be sorry, not, not just to say it, but to mean it, that there's a cost. Here's, here's, what, here's what Ananias said. Lord, 
I've heard many reports, not, not just my cousin Nina, her boyfriend's cousin said one time, not just a, an isolated report for here, many, like many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Do you know who that included? Him. Ananias. Lord, he's here to get me. He's here to take my wife. He's here to separate my family. He's here to put us to death. He's here to get me, Lord. Can you imagine now the, 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 the way that Ananias was talking to Jesus? Ananias, to say he was skeptical would be an understatement. He was scared to death. Every reason to be scared to death. See, there's a cost of being sorry. People are not going to believe you. The people you've hurt are going to doubt you've changed. Ananias is like, are you sure he's really changed, God? Because I, I know why he's here. I don't want to fall into his trap. People aren't going to believe you. They need to see change from you. But Paul had changed. In fact, Ananias was obedient to Jesus, went over, prayed for him. He got his sight back, took some food, got his strength, and immediately began preaching in the synagogues like the Jewish churches right there in Damascus. Preaching and teaching that Jesus really is the Son of Man. He really is the Messiah. He really is the Savior. This is a huge change. He goes from persecuting Christians to persuading Jews. That's a 180. But the Jews, they're skeptical too. Listen to this. All those who heard him, talking about the Jews in the synagogues, all those who heard him were astonished. And they asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem along with those, uh, among those who call on, on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Apparently, the Jews are getting the same news feeds that Ananias was. Like, Paul's famous. He's world famous for what he's been doing. And they're like, wait, 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 wait. Isn't this a guy who was, who was kicking butt and taking names? Isn't this the guy who was rounding up Christians and protecting our faith and our way of life and our people? Isn't this him? And they weren't sure they believed him either. In fact, some of them wanted to kill him. We'll get to that in a moment. But it didn't even stop in Damascus. He stayed in Damascus for a short time. Then he left Damascus. He went back to Jerusalem, back to headquarters for both the Jews and the church, the followers of Jesus. He went back and he tried to join up with the apostles, tried to become part of the church, these followers of Jesus. And here's their response. But they were all what? Afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple, really a follower of Jesus. Listen, friends, being sorry will cost you. When you're confronted with the truth that you were wrong in what you did or how you did it, it will cost you. Even when you change, people are going to doubt you. But there was more than just doubt. Listen, doubt was one thing, but for Paul and possibly for you, there was more than just doubt. People got angry with Paul. The people that Paul began protecting from the start, the people that Paul was trying to preserve their way of life and their faith and their heritage, the people who were of the Jewish religion, they got angry with him. Listen, these are the people who signed his checks, who signed the letters giving him permission to go and arrest Christians. Listen, they got angry with him. When you're confronted with the truth and you change, when you change your attitude and you change your perspective and you change the way you do things, when you become a new person doing something new, 
The people who don't want you to change will get angry. These people were so angry at Paul, they tried to kill him over and over and over again. Sorry isn't a simple word. The stakes are way higher than winning or losing a game. When you're confronted with the truth that what you did or the way you did it was wrong, it costs. You may lose trust. You may lose relationships. You need to know there's no guarantee of results in this for you. When you go to say you're sorry and prove a changed life and, and try to tell someone that, you have no guarantee they're like, oh, I'm so glad I've been waiting for you to come. They may never trust you. They may never be back in relationship with you. They may never love you again. There's no guarantee on this. Except for this one. When you truly let Jesus confront you with the truth of what you've done or how you've done it with somebody in relationship, and you make the decision to do what Jesus tells you to do, the guarantee is you've just opened yourself for God to use you in amazing ways. Look at Paul. God took Paul's change seriously, and Paul became the greatest missionary the world has ever known. He goes from persecuting Christians, like the, the, the single most uh, voice in, in, in trying to, uh, to kill the church to the, the greatest voice in trying to give people new life in the name of Jesus. He became the greatest missionary the world has ever known. God used him in just amazing ways. In fact, you're sitting here and I'm sitting here. And if you're online, you're joining us online today because Paul was the one that God used to open the non-Jewish world like the rest of the world to the good news of Jesus. All because on a dusty road, on a road to Damascus, when Paul was confronted with the truth, he obeyed and he said, I'm sorry. He changed his life and he became a usable man in the kingdom of God. And so can you. You can make the same decision that Paul made. That's why this is your weekly ask. The weekly ask, if you're new, the weekly ask is something we ask you not to think about, but to do. Like, action changes the world. Thinking about it doesn't. So here's what we ask you to do. Number one for this week. This week, name one person in your life that you need to say sorry to and mean it. <laughs> You could probably think of 10 or 12, I know, but think of one person you need to say sorry to and mean it. Maybe it was something you did 10 years ago. Maybe it's as fresh as something you said to your wife getting ready for church this morning. One person you need to say sorry to. And then number two, make a plan to say it and to prove it. Make a plan to say it and to prove it. Show them that your life has changed and go into it knowing there are no guaranteed results when you do. Now, if you're a parent this morning and you've got kids downstairs in, in crew, um, here's your talking point. This is what they, they need to hear from you and you need to talk about all week long with them. Why does walking with God take faith? Because saying you're sorry is really hard. <laughs> Listen, maybe you don't want to wait until later today or this week to get started. Maybe you can't wait until later today or this week to get started with this. Maybe God's been speaking to you while you've been sitting here listening to me. 
Maybe today, you know there's a sorry in your life that you need to take care of. In just a few moments, we're going to sing one more song. And if you need, if you know there's a sorry that you just, you just haven't dealt with yet, you know you need to, come up here and talk to God about it. If, if you know you need to go to someone and, and give them the sorry, but you don't have the courage to do that, come up here and ask God for it. If you know there's a sorry that you need to deal with today, deal with it today. The altar's open. Pastor Jonathan and I will both be up here. If you need us, tap us on the shoulder. Say, come pray with me. We'd be so happy to. Or just take time with God alone. But let God begin making the change in you, confronting you with his truth about what you've done or how you've done it. Even if you were right and the other person was wrong, if the way you did it was wrong, let him him confront you with that truth and then make a decision to be sorry, mean it, and let him change your life. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are not a God that simply sits back and idly thinks, oh, they'll get better on their own. You are not a God afraid of confrontation. You're not a God who is afraid to to tell us when we're wrong. You confront us with truth. And Jesus, the truth is, we are people who hurt people. We are people who who wreak havoc in in people's and families' lives and in job situations. But thankfully, we have a mechanism called sorry to fix that. And we're just following your example. Father, how you've shown us in your word that this is the right thing to do. So today, Father, would you intercept us on the road to wherever we're going? And would you confront us with your truth? And would you help us to make the right decision to say and to prove that we're changed and we're sorry? In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope you found something practical to use in your life today. At Grace Collective, our mission is to connect people to Jesus. Everyone, everywhere, every day. You can visit gracecollectivechurch.com to learn more about our church and how you can get involved.